Welcome to the Media Timeout Podcast. Let's be great. Let's be great. You're home for the sports content you want with the authenticity you need. Let's have some fun out here. You know, enjoy the journey of all this. We're trying to get 16 wins and going after a gold trophy. Where nothing is out of bounds. Now welcome your host, Jamal Tanner. Jamal Tanner. Welcome to episode 54 of the MTO Podcast. We got a a lot of stuff to cover because a lot of things went on over the weekend. Um, This is right where we started, Nick. You know, we started with the Super Bowl predictions where we went wildly wrong. So this year we didn't even do a a Super Bowl dedicated show because uh, that didn't work out so well. So we will definitely get to the Super Bowl. But oddly enough, that is not where we want to start. Um, we want to start with the NBA trade deadline because a lot of stuff happened. Um, a lot of things went on, and we want to break that down for you. Um, we got a jam-packed episode, so let's go ahead and get started. Let's start with the big fish, the Harden and and Ben Simmons trade. Philadelphia and Brooklyn finally decided to kind of stop being so stubborn and make this move happen. Uh, break that down for me. Uh, what were your thoughts of this trade? I mean, it was the best move for both teams. Quite honestly, it was honestly the best move for the Nets because they were going to lose James Harden regardless. If they didn't make this trade, they were going to lose him for nothing in the offseason because he was going to walk and he was going to walk to Philly. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, that's not possible because Philly doesn't have the cap space. Well, they could make the cap space. All they would have to do would be now trade Ben Simmons to a team that has a bunch of picks instead of players. And you do that, and then you go, well, maybe we trade now to Pius Harris or figure that part out, and you get rid of him. And now they did have, they would have the cap space to sign James Harden outright. So I think the Nets were, you know, had to really do this move because you can't get nothing for James Harden. Especially, I know you could say, like, okay, well, we really didn't give up that much to get a James Harden, but. The players you gave up are still the players you gave up, and they're pieces that could have been used for this team right now that doesn't have that great of a roster, quite honestly. So I think that the Sixers are playing for now, most sure, because they're the better team right now. They have Joel Embiid, who I've, I feel like forever been calling him basically basketball version of Godzilla, who's doing his thing and holding it down. And I think they're in the third or fourth spot in the East, and that was without a Ben Simmons plan. So now you plug in. James Harden to go with Embiid, and now you push Tobias Harris to the third score, and you're not really having to rely on him to get uh, buckets for you, just the extra buckets, uh, really. And now you have a playmaker. Uh, Maxi doesn't have to, you know, do as much as he's been doing uh, with Ben Simmons out. He can go off the ball and on the ball when uh, James is out of the game resting, and he, when Maxi's on the floor with Embiid. So I, I like it a lot for the Sixers right now. It's definitely a win now mode for them. Uh, the Brooklyn aspect of it with Ben Simmons, I do think it's more of a future play just because of everything that's going on with them this year. Uh, Durant still hurt. And if you heard him uh, when they were drafting players for the All-Star uh, game, Ernie asked him kind of twice about his knee. He gave twice no answer, which scares me because, I mean, maybe he's just high and he's coming back sooner than we all know, or maybe his knee injury is worse than we know. Who knows with him? Like, that team is such a mystery. Who knows with him? Who knows with Kyrie? Who knows whatever Sean Marks is ever doing in the GM position? Like, Steve Nash is a first-time head coach who at times doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Like, this organization 
top to bottom, honestly, this doesn't seem well run. Like they get lucky into things. Like they got lucky that Kyrie and KD wanted to play there. They got lucky that James Harden wanted to force his way out of Houston. And um, the Nets was one of the destinations also with the Sixers. But at the time with Daryl Morey just leaving Houston, it was looking a little, you know, weird if he all of a sudden now gets help, you know, whatever. So, you know, I feel like this Nets organization doesn't really do anything that great. They kind of just get lucky into what they do. So um, I have to see this team on the court. You know, Ben Simmons still isn't even playing yet. You know, Rich Paul put out a statement that he's ramping up, getting ready to go. But in my head, shouldn't you have been doing this all along? Like, okay, you knew the trade deadline was coming up. You either get traded or you don't. You get ready, work up to trade deadline. If you don't get traded, okay, now you ramp back down. You chill out, maybe take a vacation, you know, you're still putting up shots, getting work in, but maybe, you you know, stop working out as much as you were getting ready to play. So I'm like, so wait, you weren't even getting ready to play my guy? Like you still, like, so I just don't like, I never liked the feeling of Ben Simmons, what he was doing the whole life. To me, basketball players don't miss time if you're not injured. Basketball players want to hoop. So the fact that you were willing to just chill and make, or take your hit. I don't even know if he was collecting salary or not at this point. It's just, I don't like that from Ben Simmons. And he's not ready to go now. You already have a part-time player in Kyrie. You don't know when KD's coming back. So I I just don't know what the Nets are going to be this year. So I have to look at the future. And I think down the road, they could be a very good team if they can get everything together. If, say, next year you have, you know, a fully healthy Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie, and you get those guys at training camp, they can kind of figure out how they want to mesh and figure things out offensively and what they're going to do. But at the moment, I, just, I can't see them doing much in my eyes. It's funny you say Ben Simmons put shots up. I wonder if he's passing those up in practice as well, just as he does in the game. Um, anyway, I don't know. I really like this for the for Brooklyn with the caveat, and it's a very important caveat, that you can get them all on the court because I think from a – on paper from a basketball standpoint, when you look at this roster, it is a very well-constructed roster if they're all on the court, right? You have a very good defender in Ben Simmons, um, a versatile defender that can pretty much guard one through five. You have a very good score at the point guard position. Obviously, Kevin Durant, to me, is potentially the greatest scorer of all time. Like I've never seen anything like it. And then you add a Drummond, you add a uh, Seth Curry, who's a very good shooter. You already had Patty Mills, who's a very good shooter. Joe Harris is still there. He's just healing up. Another very good shooter. Lamarcus Aldridge can stretch the court. Uh, Blake Griffin can get you a good eight minutes <laughs> before he's, his knees are hurt. So I just think that it's a really good roster if you can get them all out there on the court. I think they complement each other very well. I really like what this looks like. But again, the concern is, okay, how much can Kyrie play? How much is... Is Ben going to get ramped up? I think to your point, there's a very good chance that this ends up becoming something that uh, we're looking at next year for them to be making this run because I'm not sure if they can get this all together um, in just a couple of months. But I really like the roster, and uh, you know, like you said, they're going to lose James anyway, so I think it was a really good trade for them. They also got two first-round picks out of that. They can flip that into a good player. So there's a lot of flexibility they have um, from this trade, so I think it's a really, I thought it was a really good trade for Brooklyn. Um, for the Sixers, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, if you're going to take a guy that hasn't played for you and is refusing to play for you, and you're going to turn around and flip him into a James Harden, uh, there's no way you lose that 
I mean, I know you're coming off two first round picks. I know you're coming off some pretty good role players, but I'll talk a little, a little bit later about the fact that I think you can replace role players. So I think they've seen enough from Charles Bassey. So whereas he can kind of do what Drummond was doing off the bench for Embiid, um, we're not really looking for a security blanket if Embiid gets hurt because we know one way or the other Embiid gets hurt, your season's done. So there's no reason to, to really worry about that in that way. So I like it. This is a, one of the rare trades where I feel like it was really a win-win situation. And I look forward to it. Selfishly, I kind of want to see this in the playoffs somewhere. Um, I think Milwaukee's going to have something to say about that. So I'm not sure we actually see this matchup. Um, but I would, I would love to see this matchup storylines. Um, I think we're going to see some really good basketball if we see this matchup. We're going to have some players with with something to prove to each other. So that would be a really fun matchup that I am not thinking we're going to see. I think most of the players want that matchup. I don't know if your man Ben Simmons wants that. Does he really want to play in Philly like as fragile as he is? I don't know if he wants the problems. I don't know the man. I feel like he's the type that would just play defense basically and then talk match if they win. Like I, I feel like he's the type. I feel like he's gonna let Kyrie do his thing, let Durant do his thing. And then if they win, he'd be like, Hey, you saw me lock him up that one time when he went to the basket and I blocked it. Remember that in game three? Remember when I did that? Like I feel like that's what Ben Simmons would do in that scenario. We're gonna get to winners and losers, but I wanna break down one more trade because I found it to be a very interesting trade. Um, so we'll break this specific trade down and then we'll go into kind of who we feel like is the winner and losers of the deadline. Um, and that's the Sacramento and Indiana trade with the Halliburton for Sabonis. Um, those are the headliners anyway. There's some other players in there, but I'm not going to get too caught up in the minutia of the trade. What do you think of that swap? Cause I thought it was a very interesting trade. I didn't know how to feel. I even texted you. I was like, I don't know what to think. I've had a little more time to digest it. And so I want to know your opinion and then see kind of where you think both teams go from there. I don't, well, I feel good for Indiana. Don't get like, I like that a lot because I do like Halliburton. Uh, I think we both kind of liked them before the draft uh, shooter. And he seemed NBA ready, at least shooting wise uh, to come in and play right away. I like it for Indiana because they now have a lot of guys who they have uh, contract control, basically. Like, they don't really – they have a young core they can kind of go forward with. Now Miles Turner kind of doesn't have to worry about Sabonis in the middle. Um, TJ Warren's basically never playing again, so don't even worry about him. Uh, (laughs) You have Halliburton. You have Brock. You have have some pieces there. You know, dang, I forget the dude's name. Is it Isaiah Jackson? Is that who they have that's kind of been getting run lately? Yep, getting, Isaiah Jackson. Okay, yep. Isaiah Jackson. So I like a lot of the pieces they have, man. I felt like they, for once, they did a real, a team did a really good job of being like, okay, this is what we want to establish. We're going to go forward with these guys, and we just going to go. Like, we we realize, like, the Sabonis thing is run his course, good player, but not really going nowhere with Sabonis. Let's get him a new look, do whatever he's going to do. So I liked it a lot for the Pacers. The Kings... <sighs> I never know how to feel about the Kings, man. Like, in theory, I feel like it's good. Like, I watched the game right after uh, they made the trade, and Fox and Sabonis looked really good playing together. I thought uh, the Kings also did a good job of finally just getting Bagley out of town. He wasn't happy. They weren't really playing him. He needed a new change of scenery. They got him out of there. That was probably the best for both. Uh, So I'll put up, you know, what what is it, NC? You did, or... 
when you just don't know, not conclusion. I just don't have a conclusion yet on the Kings. Let me see a little bit more. Let me see if they do something in the offseason to make me feel a little bit better about this roster. But at the moment, eh, I mean, eh, I don't know. I like Sabonis as a player, but I need to see more from the Kings. Yeah, and that's why I found it to be interesting. So the Halliburton thing, I really like for Indy, but I'm like, you got to get rid of Brogdon, right? Because I feel like they're clones of each other, right? They're the same person. And as much as I like each player individually, do you really want the same two of the same people in your backcourt? So I know they can't trade Brogdon this year. He's untradeable this year, which I don't, it's, it's not even like a no trade clause. It's just like he cannot be traded at all, um, which is kind of unique. But I would think they got to move off of him at the end of the year. And then you kind of, I don't know what they're going to do with Buddy Heald. They sound like they're willing to get rid of him, willing to keep him. But at the minimum, you know, you got Duarte, who's my guy. I've obviously been very vocal about how I feel about Duarte. Uh, you got Halliburton. You got Miles Turner, who apparently really wants to play with Halliburton. So now he's kind of locked in. He wanted to play center. He wanted to play with Halliburton. He gets to do both of those things now that bonus isn't there. Um, like you said, you got Isaiah Jackson. They had a really sneaky trade with the Suns where they got Jalen Smith off the Suns, which I thought was a really good trade. Um, they got rid of Torrey Craig another role player that people have seen in the playoffs so people love him i'll talk more about that later um so now they got you know miles turner uh i don't know how to say the dude's name that's playing center for them right now but b todd's day or something like that i like him so they got a lot of young bigs behind miles turner whereas i'm not gonna say his name again i butchered it once you know what i'm talking about and then jalen smith and then isaiah jackson so that's a lot of good bigs they have Halliburton at the point guard, Duarte. They can flip Brogdon. They can flip TJ Warren for, I guess, spare parts. Because at this point, I don't know how much trade uh, value he has right now, given the fact that he we haven't seen him play. Last time we saw him play was in the bubble getting buckets. So hopefully they can just show people that tape and remind them and get something for that. And then just get basically just some wing depth. And at that point, you know, they can just run it back. I think they did a really good job of retooling. To the, on the King side of things, though, I feel like De'Aaron Fox is getting a lot of slander. I'll get more into that later. We do this thing where we love you, we love you, we love you, and then you kind of level off, and then all of a sudden you're not as good, you're overrated now. Like, I don't know why we do this with people, but I think that's where De'Aaron Fox is. I like that nucleus for them. I like them going to get, you know, White Dante, the big ragu, which I didn't know they called him that, but I love that. Um, I think he's a really good role player uh, for them. I don't really love a lot of their other pieces, to be honest with you, but I think it's a good start. If this was any other organization, I'd be a little more optimistic, <laughs> but given the fact that it's the Kings, they'll probably find a way to mess this up. Um, but Rishon Holmes is a center, you know, Harrison Barnes, they, like they do have some pretty good pieces there, but I just don't trust that organization to do what's needed for them to be competitive. And I think that's my biggest concern. Like on paper, what they did, I think if you, change the organization i'm like okay you guys are building something but when it's the kings i'm like how are they gonna mess this one up right they're probably pissed off the aaron fox somehow and then he'll went out of town and then they'll be just running mitchell and that'll be that'll be it so i don't know i just thought it was an interesting trade so i wanted to break it down but let's go straight to winners and losers um we'll go back and forth name a winner all right i know this is clear but 
my first winner is the Sixers. You, like we said, you got nothing or you got something for nothing, I guess. Yeah, not nothing. That would be even worse, which you already had. But you had, you got James Harden, who's, people are saying having a bad year, but I'm pretty sure he averages 22, 10 and eight or something like that. Something like that. It's not bad at all. <laughs> and you add him to the Sixers who are already doing pretty good and you get rid of Ben Simmons, who we can all agree. I mean, well, they were done with each other, but they were done with him a long time ago, too. So they finally get rid of that headache, and now they can move on with the guy they truly want. He's already expecting to sign the uh, one-year extra ex- or opt-in. I think he had a, op- a player option. He's already expected to opt into that. That was part of the trade. And, yeah, they're ready to go, man. It's, it's just, the Sixers are going to be dangerous. I'm really excited to see them play off time. And B finally has, like, a, a number two. Like, this is what he's been waiting for. Like, we all wanted Ben Simmons to be that guy. Never was that guy. Never was going to be that guy because he just never developed the jump shot. So I'm just, and I'm excited to see James Harden with a big, like, I know people want to say Dwight Howard, but this isn't like, this is different. Like Dwight Howard had to be like, Hey, throw him a lob. Hey, throw him really right, right close to the rim. So he could basically dunk it or lay it in. No, no, no. This is different. James can throw him an easy ass bounce pass and be like, yo, go to work. Like, so I'm real excited to see James finally play with a legit big who can dominate it's going to be scary, man. Like, if Embiid's cooking and now you can't, like, double him because Harden's out there or you got Harden, Tobias Harris, and, like, they got shooters. Like, you can put a cork Maz out there. Like, they got people you can do to spread the court. Like, that's a dangerous, dangerous team now. So, the Sixers are my uh, clear winner. Yeah, one thing that I will want to watch, um, I mentioned to you before, I definitely think they're a winner, but James Harden don't like to catch and shoot. And I feel like if you're playing with the – a big like Embiid, he's going to have to start doing it. Obviously, he can. We know that. But he doesn't do it often. Um, so I think that's something he's going to have to incorporate with his game to make uh, Embiid better. Because if he's not going to just catch it and shoot it, then you just help off with James Harden. Even though he can shoot, you know he's going to give you a couple dribbles to give you a chance to recover. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see how he goes to just decide to catch and shoot instead of putting the ball down a couple times before he shoots. So I think that'll be interesting. But definitely a clear winner. Um, I know you're not as there yet with this, but I think Brooklyn's a winner too. Um, like I said, they got a lot of pieces around their their nucleus now. Um, I think they have a really good array of role players, and it may not happen this year to your point, but next year, I, I'm assuming if, as long as they get Drummond back, which I think, I don't know, it seems like a good fit for him. He wants to be a starter. That's pretty much, here's your starter for a contender. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to work that deal, especially given the fact that I think he's on like a one-year, $4 million deal right now. I'm sure they can scrape scrape up the change to get him at least that. So assuming they get him back, like I said, I like the starting lineup of Kyrie, Ben, Durant, Aldridge Drummond. I mean, there's a lot of different things they could do. Uh, Joe Harris, if Joe Harris is back, then it's probably Kyrie, Joe Harris, Durant, Simmons and pick Aldridge or Drummond, whichever one you want to do. I really like that starting lineup. They have depth. I think they're a winner too. I know you're a little skeptical, but that's why we're going back for it. This is my winner. Who else you got? Uh, another winner I got is the Spurs. I know we kind of going back and forth on the worth of this player involved in my winner, but so I got the Spurs because they got back a first round pick, actually multiple first round picks for Derek White. 
So let me get the official trade breakdown for you so we can go back and forth on this. Um, the trade was Derek White to the Celtics for Josh Richardson, Romeo Lankford, a 2022 first round pick, and a 2028 first round pick swap. So I know the 2028 one is a little bit further down the line. It's a pick swap. But the 2022 one is a first rounder straight up, no pick swap. So that's actually kind of a lot for a Derek White. So do you want to revisit your opinion on that or are you sticking to your guns a pick swap mean like in 2028 i have no idea what that means right like we don't know what the trajectory of either team so basically it just means whoever has the better pick i get it so based on the way we are looking at things now basically it's going to go from you went from the 14th pick to the 16th pick like that's really what we're looking at because they're both kind of mid-range teams that doesn't move the meter for me I feel like Boston has to do something. I feel like it's not going... They're not going to win right now, right? Their window isn't right now. It is absolutely closed right now. So you get a guy who's in the same age range as your two stars. You know, you got Robert Williams. You're developing him. You're doing well there. I'm not sure how long Horford's going to be there. They're really just kind of, again, a whale away from being in that conversation. Now, are you going to get a whale to go to Boston? That's going to be Brad Stevens' job. But really right now, they have to do something to prove to Brown and Tatum that it's worth staying. And so I think this is a move that while it moves them up, not enough to matter now, but hopefully it's enough to convince Brown and Tatum that, hey, we're trying to get you there. We're making one piece at a time and we're going to get you there. From the Spurs perspective, it makes sense. I don't think a backcourt of Murray and White was going to ever take you where you need to go. And there's not really a debate on which one of those you keep. Uh, Murray's clear and clearly the better player. So I think Romeo Langford is actually a really good role player. I think that's a really solid pick uh, player to get back. You get a first out of it. You're not winning anything anytime soon. They understand they're a smaller market. So you're going to have to do this thing very in a patient way. So I don't hate the trade. My issue, I like how you try to pose it now. My issue was you said they basically get took a bunch of trash and turned it into first round picks. That was the sentence that I objected to is that Derek White is not trash is all I'm trying to say. So I don't have an issue with it for either team. I'm kind of lukewarm on it, but don't call my man trash. That's all I'm saying. Okay. That, that's okay. It. How about this? Not trash, but you know how like when you round up your old clothes to give the value village, so they basically did that and they got back first round picks. Like, is that, is like, that, my man can't even be a garage sale. Like he's got to be Value Village. Like, <laughs> dog, you can find some good stuff at Value Village. People give away some good stuff. I'm just saying. Nah, see, I got a problem with Value Village because you give it to them for free, and then they sell it. Like I don't like that. Like if I'm gonna give it to free, I need you to donate to somebody who needs it. I turn around and sell my. I could have sold it. Like what you mean? Like that bothers me. But anyway, I just feel like. You was you was throwing a little too much shade on my guy. That was my biggest issue. If you feel like they're winners, so be it. Derek White ain't trash. That's my only statement on that whole thing. My next winner is going to put a lot of faith in this organization. And that's why I'm scared to say it out loud and I'm stalling because I might change my mind. All right, I'm going to say it. I think Washington's a potential winner here. Hear me out. I know everybody's like, Porzingis? Because I've talked a lot of trash about Porzingis. I understand. But Dinwiddie wasn't going to work. They got from underneath that right away, right? You get Porzingis, who's a good player. He's just not what he was cracked up to be. I think at this point now, we understand who he is. He's not a unicorn. He's just a horse, right? We've seen him before. And 
but he's a good player, right? So you pair him with Beal. You also show Beal, hey, we're trying to win. I think Thomas Bryant at center and Gafford at center are good pairings with Porzingis. Um, you, you still have Kuzma there. I like the way Kuzma has been playing. Um, and then, in my mind, what you got to do is you got to showcase Kispert, showcase Adiva, or however you say his name. I'm so bad. I got to learn like these European names because I'd be I'd be butchering them. I that's all me. I got to get better at this. But you showcase those players, and then you try to package something to get Brogdon. Like I was just talking about, Indiana's clearly rebuilding. You try to say, hey, I'll give you Kispert. I'll give you a diva, maybe Achimura. I'll try to keep Achimura, but if he's, he's got to go, he's got to go. You try to get Brogdon in there. Hopefully you keep this year's draft pick and then trade next year's draft pick. And then you're looking at, you know, Brogdon with Beal, Kuzma at the three, Porzingis at the four, and then Thomas Bryant or Gafford at the five. I like that. If you can keep this year's pick, then, you know, you can get a developmental player to come off the bench. That's a good start, right? Obviously, you're not Brooklyn. You're not Philly. You're not um, the Bucks, but you're moving in the right direction in that scenario. And you have a pillar in Beal. I like Brogdon a lot. Porzingis would be the third player, which I think is perfect for him. Like your third scorer, kind of that Tobias Harris role now, to where, as you know, He's going to give you 30 every given night, but you don't need it every night. And I think they're on to something in that scenario. So that's why I like Washington. But it is putting a little faith for them to make that next move. And I don't know if I trust that too much. But they're in a position to where they can make some moves and then be a playoff team in the East. A more competitive East at that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to need to wait and see on that one. That's a wait and see for sure. Because... I like what you're thinking in theory, but not a lot of times these teams don't think like you. They, they're just not, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, pump up your head, but they're just not as smart as you. Like some of these teams just aren't that well run. And I don't trust the wizards quite honestly, because I feel like I know bills wanted to stay, but I would have moved bill a while ago, actually, especially before the now knee injury, having to have surgery just because this team isn't close. They're not, I mean, if all well, you know, all goes good and this, that, and other, yeah, maybe they can make some noise. But to me, I would have restarted a while ago. I think you could you could have got a lot for Bill. I think you, you still can get a lot for Bill if you did want to ever put him on the trade market, but you're not going to get as much as you once could have. So I don't know what this team does. I Hopefully they make smart moves, like you say, the Porzingis stuff, along with the other guys like Bryant and Gafford and – uh. Hachimura, I think Hachimura, you know, this time right now, this is big for him. I, I want to see him step up. I want to see him, you know, kind of take charge, get a lot better. I think he's coming off the bench at the moment. I, wa- I actually watched the Wizards play the other day, which is weird. I can't even remember who they were playing. It was just the Wizards. Oh, no, it was against uh, the Nets, actually. Sorry, it was on TV. So, I and like your boy, uh, Adiva, I can't, man, wow, I need to figure, actually, I just don't even know his name. I saw him play. I still don't even know his name. So, if all these guys, along with Kispert, can, uh, like you said, showcase them to figure out something, I think it's all well. And they got time now. You know, with Bill being out, a lot of guys are going to be playing. And Kuz is who he is. So we'll see. I, I, I definitely, I'm waiting and seeing on this this one because, like you said, I just don't trust the front office. I forgot one important thing that automatically makes them a winner. They got rid of Bertans and that terrible contract. That's a win right there. You got somebody else to take the five-year $80 million off your hands. 
I don't care what happens for going on. They won just for that. Dude, NB- I mean, anybody, any team will take a bad contract in the NBA. It's so funny. Like, it, you can go on every team and find one. Like, the Lakers are still paying Luol Deng $5 million, by the way. <laughs> Jesus. Like, why are they so bad at this? I don't understand. Like, every trade deadline, I'm like, bro, I can be a GM. I promise. I promise you, I can be a GM. I try not to be that dude because, you know, there's always that dude that's like, I could have played in the league. Like, I always laugh at that dude. No bullshit. I really think I could be a GM in this league. I would need some some help, some assistance, help me with the cap and all this, that, and third. But I can tell you, I can do some player personnel stuff. I promise. Anyway, so let's go to the losers. I'm going to save the one that I know that you want to do for you. <laughs> so, oh, Pacers were a winner for both of us, by the way. But I, we already went into that. I don't want to spend as much time there. So I'm going to say Dallas is a loser. And not to pile on my man, Bertans is a reason. I don't like that one bit. I don't understand the point of, you trade Porzingis, right? Which by all means, you can upgrade from Porzingis. I'm not mad at in theory of trading Porzingis. But the reason why you trade Porzingis is to bring in a guy that can replace the guy that you don't think you can sign. So basically, you just replace Brunson by getting Dinwiddie, but then you never replace got anything for Porzingis in that scenario. You just got a replacement for a guy that you're going to lose. So basically, you at, when the year ends and Brunson walks, you ended up with nothing for Porzingis. You ended up in the same place minus Porzingis, and you got and you took on eighty million to do it. That doesn't make sense. If I was Luca, I wouldn't be happy with that. And then again, I keep alluding to it. They just signed Finney Smith to fifty million. I don't, I don't like it. If I'm Luca, I'm starting to look at an exit plan. Like I'm just telling you right now, I'm like, okay, you already did terrible in the draft. You got Tyrell Terry. Uh, most people probably don't know who he is. He was a first round pick. Josh Green again, first round pick. I know you guys don't know these names because they're not playing. So they're not doing well in the draft. They're not bringing in pieces. They're about to lose Luca here in a couple of years. We're going to have these rumors coming out because he's not going to be happy because they're not going to be winning. And to me, they're the clear loser of the trade deadline. I have a question. Why, why can't Dallas get like good free agents? Like it's a, I mean, I personally don't like the town of Dallas. That's because I spent a summer there and it was horrible. But other people like the town of Dallas. It has good strip clubs. I hear it's a big area. I mean, it's not one of these other cities that we kind of clown on. Like, you know, we give Salt Lake City shit. We give, like, Portland. The places that it's hard to get. Fit. But Dallas isn't one of those places. Like, do you, what's the problem? Like, why can't they get, like, marquee guys? Because the front office is terrible and they have no direction. Like, people want to be in a city, right? But they want to also win. And so you look at that, like, okay, you got Luca. What else you got going on? And they're like, nothing? All right, there's other cities. And then it goes somewhere else. That's really all there is to it. There's no reason why they can't attract free agents if their front office knew what they were doing. Like I said, I just named you two first round picks that I don't want to call them busts yet, but they're on their way, right? They're on the highway headed <laughs> headed to bus land, right? So I'm sure if we looked at those drafts, there's players that they pick these guys over that are having better starts to their career, right? So like if you get if you hit on some of those draft picks and you have that promise, then if I'm a if I'm a young player or I'm coming up in free agent year and you got the cap space, I'm like, okay, I can see that direction. Right now, it's just like, do you want to play with Luca? Like, are you going to, like, that's really the only thing that you can say. 
and there's other stars in the league right now. So it's like, okay, I can play with I can play with two stars instead of just Luca, and they have more a tendency to get other players around me. Whereas right now you're playing with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Luca and Jalen Brunson for half a year. That's it. Like, like, are you really that impressed? Like right now, between again, I keep I keep digging on them, but it's just a bad contract between Bertans and Finney Smith. That's 132 million, like over the lifetime of their contracts. Like that's what we're investing in right now. Again, I like Finney Smith as a player, but how are we supposed to win if you ain't right within? You know what I mean? Like I don't mean to be Lauren Hill, but like how's that supposed to work? So. That's why it's just the direction of their front office. I don't like their front office one bit. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I don't see the direction. I don't I don't like that, what they're putting around Luca. It's yeah, yeah I agree though. Um, I'm not gonna I'm gonna say the one for last. So I'm not gonna go to my favorite one on the list. I'm gonna go to Portland, and I'm going to Portland. Where actually, man, two, I got two juicy ones, but I'm gonna go with the this one first. Portland, because I told y'all fools two years ago to blow this shit up, man. I'm mad. Like, maybe, I don't know, one, two, I don't know. But I've been telling y'all to blow this up, and now y'all blow it up. Like, it's too late. Like, the house is already falling down. Like, ain't no point. Like, I can pull it down. Like, you don't need to blow it up now. Like, the house was falling down. It was sideways. Like, have you ever seen the Swisher House logo with the house tipping? on? Yeah, that's what the house was doing. It was tipping. So, like... Portland, what are you doing? I've been told y'all to get rid of. I told y'all to get rid of people. I told you to blow it up two seasons ago when you lost in the first round or whatever round you blew it in, and then you blow it in every round anyway, or whenever you get to whenever you're gonna blow it. So I just, I just didn't get why they held on so long. Like the writing was literally on the wall. Like it was everywhere. Like and they just ignored it. They were like, ah, nah. There's no writing over there. Just paint over that. It was like graffiti. They just kept painting over it. People just kept putting graffiti on the wall. So I just, yeah, it's it was about time. I mean, the trade, you know, I, I get the trade of CJ because Anthony Simon's coming on. It's Anthony, I don't know, whatever. Mr. Simon's coming on and playing well. So he became expendable. Uh, I probably thought they probably should have got rid of Nurk. I, think, I, I thought they should have bottomed out, quite honestly, and just given a lot of their young guys run. You have Greg Brown. You have... Just a whole bunch of dudes give them run. So I thought they tried. They, sh- they should probably should have got rid of Nurk, and they didn't do that. So uh, Portland's definitely my loser. So I agree with Portland being a loser, but it's for a different reason. Their trades are inconsistent and they don't make sense because they didn't really blow it up because they're trying to keep Dame and build around Dame. Like that's not what blowing it up is. If you're blowing it up, Dame got to go too, right? So the idea is that you're gonna build around Dame with what you have. But it doesn't make sense. Like, why are you keeping Simons, the guy that, from an age standpoint, their windows are different. So it's like they're trying to hedge right now. They're like, we'll keep Dame. And if that doesn't work out, then at least we still have Simons. And I'm like, okay, but that's not how this works. Like, that's not enough. So in my mind, if you're going to keep Dame, if that's what you're resigned to do, Simons has got to be the one that you trade. Because there's a lot of value in him right now because he's young and he's showing promise. Like, you got to trade him to get pieces around Dame and CJ. It doesn't make sense to trade CJ and then try to say that you're keeping, that you're you're still going to build around Dame. It doesn't, like, the, their windows are different, right? So now you have Nasir Little, who's, who's the player I think can play with Dame. But Simons is just CJ. They're not that different. So, like, how does that change the trajectory? I had a plan to fix Portland. They didn't listen. They went a different direction. 
Like you said, they should have got rid of Nurk. Because when you have guards like that, they don't need a big man that's going to score in the post. They don't need a creative big man that's going to be a great passer. They need a finisher because they're going to get them the ball when, like, in easy positions to just finish. And they need someone who can protect the rim, right? So they should have went and got a Miles Turner to play with CJ and to play with um, Dame. Like, that would have made sense. They have a lot of young wings that I really like that they had covered up with players that, honestly, they were overpaying for. Like, I like Norman Powell, but they didn't need to pay that kind of money for that. Covington was a shell of himself. But, like, when you're looking at the game where they beat the Lakers, for instance, you see C.J. Ellaby doing his thing. He's a really good shooter. He's about 6'7". That's a really good fit with Damon C.J. You see Greg Brown. You know my five-star rule. If you get a chance to get a five-star at the end of the first round or second round, you take it because the athleticism means they're going to be at least a really good role player, and they might end up becoming even more than that. So you see him going out there and scoring his 15, playing solid defense. You pair him with Little and Ellaby. Now, instead of paying for Powell and Nurkic and Covington, now you have some money to go get that third star. You know what I mean? Like, you have that money. So instead, they do this, like, hedge your bet. I'm kind of blowing it up, kind of not blowing it up. Like, it doesn't make sense. Just make a decision and run full steam with that. But they're running in two different directions, and it just doesn't make sense. They're not all pulling in the same direction. They're gonna just—they're just prolonging their mediocrity, is what they're doing, and so that's to me is why they're losing. If they're gonna blow it up, I'd have been fine with them blowing it up. Blow it all the way up. They just blew up like half the building, and like now they're gonna try to repair that half of it. I'm like, okay, it doesn't work. It's not gonna work. It, they're in the same boat that they were. They're just gonna be average for even longer than they were. And as much as I love and respect Dane for you know his loyalty, a lot of times when it comes to your occupation specifically. Loyalty is overrated, and we're seeing it with, with Dame Lillard. Like, be loyal to your family, be loyal to your friends, your loved ones, your kids, all them. A job? Nah, man, you got to do what's best for you. And that's what that's Dame's not doing that, and that's going to be kind of the downfall to his legacy is the fact that he, you know, we're all going to quote-unquote respect it, but then at the same time we're going to say he never got that ring. Yeah, and I I feel like the Dame thing is kind of the reason why like James Harden is like kind of almost bouncing all over the place. He's like, yeah, I'm, he's like, yo, Dame, they go talk about you when you're done. Like they go love you right now. But they go talk about you when you're done. You know, it's the, almost the quote from Batman. You know, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, basically. So it's it's all good right now, but you know, at the end, it ain't gonna be. Here's what's gonna happen: as soon as he becomes a bad contract. They're going to get his ass up out of town. He's going to be loyal all this time. And then, you know, Anthony Simons is going to start coming on. Dame's going to lose a little bit. And they're going to be like, you know what? Let's go ahead and ship him out of here. And so he's going to be loyal for all these years. And then Portland's going to be like, it's a business. And they're going to get his ass up out the paint. And so what's that loyalty going to serve you at the end of the day? At the end of the day, at a, at a, when you're as good as Dame, the job's going to do what's best for them at all times. You got to do what's best for you. And... Like I said, I admire his loyalty. I'm just not sure it's it's put in the right places. I think he can just use that same energy he's using for loyalty and and do that in his personal life and that is in his career. I think he's got to do what's best for him, but he seems to be going a different path. I'm rooting for him. I hope he gets it. I don't see it, so I agree. I think they're they're a loser on this too. So you did your I told you so. It's time for me to do my I told you so. 
I think New Orleans is a loser in this, and it goes all the way back to the Anthony Davis trade when everybody said that he had such a great coup and how it was just David Griffin's the executive of the year because look at all he got. What are they doing now, right? So now they're grasping at straws, and they still it won't just blow it up like you said. Now they're getting CJ and bringing him along. CJ basically went from Portland to where they were mediocre to like mediocre but good food. Like I guess he upgraded a little bit because now he's you know he can do a little Mardi Gras. He's eating good, but they're not, it's not better. I mean, even when Zion comes back, we don't even know what that's going to look like. Are we really worried about them winning the championship out there? Like with that roster? Like that roster is not a championship roster. That roster is a 17th pick in the draft roster. And they didn't get better. Again, their direction doesn't make much sense either. And right now they're super top heavy. They have a bunch of bigs that I like, but like how's Valanchunas and Jackson Hayes and, and Zion all going to play together? Spoiler alert, they're not. Then you got Brandon Ingram, kind of like the only wing that's of any value. And then you got CJ basically making uh, Devontae Graham irrelevant because they're redundant. And that's the whole roster. Like, they, it just, it's just not good. It really isn't. And I'm just so sick of teams, this grass to look like they're doing something right, but you're, you're just prolonging your own mediocrity. It, the AD trade was never good. Because nobody, everybody's afraid to bottom out. In order to be good in professional sports, more than likely, specifically if you're not New York or L.A., you're going to have to bottom out. Like, that's how it's going to have to work. And they tried not to, and so you just stay average. And, everybody, okay, CJ's a really good player. I love CJ. He's not moving the needle. You're not beating Golden State. You're not beating Phoenix. You're not beating Memphis. You're not beating the Clippers when Kawhi comes back. You're not beating the Lakers when they get up off of Russ because that's going to happen eventually. Like, who are you better than? Like, really? Who who are you beating? So it's just... It's just to sit here and say that I did something. But what you did is you made it worse. So I'm done with New Orleans. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you with the bottoming out. And I'm... I'm one of the biggest fans you'll find of it because my favorite team, the Astros, did it, and it's still reaping benefits. And you know, it's it's crazy thing. Like they bottomed out hard. Like I'm pretty sure they lost a hundred games three years running. Like it was a joke for a while. But like ever, but they stuck to their guns and they've been good for a while now. And to think of it, they really haven't had to sign outside help. Like they traded for Justin Verlander, but besides that, everybody's a draft pick. Like. Bregman's a draft pick. Correa is a draft pick. Uh, Jose Altuve wasn't even a draft. He was uh, basically, they found him just basically. And um, Alvarez a draft pick. Tucker a draft pick. All the pitchers were draft, like McCullers was a high draft pick. So you, to me, you can do it right if you bottom out. Like, of course, yeah, you do have to hit on all your draft picks. That was the good thing about the Astros. They hit on basically all their draft picks. That's something you got to do too. And also, you know, George Springer was a part of that before he moved on. But so you can do it. But like you said, a lot of teams are afraid to do that. And like, because you get hit like the Sixers. I mean, you people will talk shit about the Sixers, but it for the most part worked out for them. They just didn't hit on all their draft picks. You know what I mean? Like, they, they hit on some, they missed on some, and that just happens along the way. So, but if they would have hit on every pick, you know, if every draft they would have, like, say, gotten Tatum instead or gotten, you know what I mean? Like, I was just about would, to say that. Yeah, then like, people wouldn't be saying shit. They would be like, damn, look at the Sixers, look what they did. They did this and they hit on every pick, you know what I mean? So, just that pick. That's the only one. I like Markel Fultz. I'm not here to bash Markel Fultz. 
they take Tatum in that draft, and now you got Ben doing what we want him to do, which is just defend and distribute. Tatum and Embiid, that's a championship roster. But in order to get that opportunity to be a championship roster, they had to bottom out. So 100% agree. I just I was just about to say that, and then you brought up the Tatum thing, and I'm like, that's that's a ship, really. Like Tatum, yeah. Embiid, and Ben Simmons, like that's ship level. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but that's that they'd be in that range right now without even having to make these trades for James Harden. And so, so honestly, so you so honestly you can say it does work. You just, I mean, the Sixers messed up. They missed the pick. Like they didn't do with that. The Astros hit every pick. They were like hit, 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 and the Sixers were like hit, miss, hit, miss, 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 hit. Like so, it works if you hit on everything, but. If you fifty fifty on it, then I mean you just fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, we've been burying the lead long enough. Who else is your is your loser? Oh, this one I love because I just I, I I love the tears. I love the Lakers tears. Like give me all of it. I just I, I drink it up just like a cat. Just give me the bowl. So I just Lakers fans, guys, how how you feeling? You're t- you know what? Let's 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 go back in history. Let's go back not too long in history. Last year, when me and Jamal try to tell y'all about THT, or as I like to call him on Twitter, THC, because I can't spell sometimes, we tried to tell you this dude was overrated. But all you would hear from Lakers fans is, "Nah, THT, he gonna be nice. Nah, we can't give up THT for Mike Lowry. Nah, we can't give up THT for this player." Like. What are y'all doing? And I know I said, Mike, I was joking. It's Kyle Lowry. I know it was a joke, people. But anyway, like, but now look at y'all. Y'all couldn't trade that dude for a bag of fucking chips. Like, nobody wanted this fucking dude. Like, and we tried to tell y'all, but y'all don't listen, man. Y'all stubborn. Y'all think y'all know everything. And this is what we try to tell y'all. Y'all not good at being GMs. You're just like your GM. He ain't good at being a GM. He got lucky LeBron wanted to come to LA. They got lucky that... LeBron was like, go get AD. I don't even think they were going to do that on their own. I think LeBron had to be like, hey, can you go do that? Like, please? So I'm just I'm just confused at where they think. And then when they could have made it a little bit better this offseason, you know, they could have gotten a Buddy Hill and still had some salary cap room to make some deals. Nah, y'all want to go get Russell Westbrook. And, and the funniest thing about the Lakers of all teams getting them is – a couple years back in the playoffs or in the bubble when they were playing the Rockets, they were the first team to lay the hell off of him and be like, shoot. So you guys saw that as a team, as a defense, and was like, let's go get that. That's what we need. We need a point guard that can't shoot. Make it make sense to me, Jamal. Just make it make sense, please, sir. What's funny is I hear you talking and I'm like, man, could you imagine this Lakers roster if they had Kyle Lowry at the point guard and Buddy Hill at the two? And then LeBron, oh, like that'd be, they'd be such a complete team because Kyle Lowry does exactly what you need a point guard with LeBron to do. I'm going to lock up. I'm going to take 17 charges a a game. I'm going to hit an open shot. And then I can distribute when LeBron's on the, like he's perfect for LeBron. Like he's the perfect point guard to play with LeBron. Buddy Hill's the perfect player to play with LeBron because he can shoot. Like if you give LeBron shooters, we've seen that, you're going to win games. That's all there is to it. So they wanted to make, they always want to make this splash, sexy, you know, Hollywood, Tinseltown trade, and I'm like, it's not. That's not how you win. It's unfortunate. Like, so one thing, I don't want to bag on Russ too much. I just, he's a statistical anomaly, or I don't know if statistical, but like, I've never seen this before. 
And so I just wanted to bring it up because I thought about it. And again, I'm going to try to do it in the most respectful way possible because I like Russ. It's just, it's not his, it's not his best time right now. Like he's, he's going through it right now. But when Russ was young, we, we all said when he gets old, his, his game isn't going to age well. Right. Which happened to turn out to be true. But what I find interesting about this is when we said that, we said it because his game was completely predicated on athleticism, and we said that was going to go away. And so, therefore, once that went away, what was he going to be left with? That's not what happened to Russ. He's still athletic. Like, he's still just as athletic as he used to be. What happened to Russ is he can't, his shot got worse which I don't think I've ever really seen a player's shot leave them. Usually that's the thing that stays. Like we look at Curry and Dame and we're like, hey, they're going to be good forever because they got that Jimmy. It's never going to go away. But Russ's demise went when he stopped being able to make free throws. He was an 85% free throw shooter. So with his athleticism, he gets to the basket, you got to foul him. Boom, he's hitting 85 of them things. Right now he's a 60% free throw shooter. So that's not... That's not scary. Like, if you go to the lane, okay, you got a little step on me, I'm just going to foul you because you're not hitting your free throws. He's That little mid-range shot he used to hit, he used to be money with that mid-range. He ain't hitting that no more. We've seen a compilation of him hitting the side of the glass and the top of the glass trying to hit off, the, trying to be Tim Duncan. But he ain't used to do that. So his jumper is fading and not his athleticism, and that's the reason why he's not aging well. And that's – I don't think I've ever seen that before. I've never seen a average to bad shooter – get worse but then keep his athleticism for the last 15 years and like because that's not the problem at all like we all thought he was going to no longer be an athlete still an athlete he just can't make free throws anymore and it's just really interesting because i've never seen a deterioration in this way like it's just like when you look at quarterbacks right their arm strength goes like drew Brees just couldn't throw it past 30 yards like ben roethlisberger is playing 500 when he's trying to get the basketball for 40 yards on the field right they don't just lose accuracy. You know what I mean? Like, Drew Brees can still hit a target if you give it under 30 yards. But, like, that part doesn't usually go away. The accuracy doesn't go away. That's what happened to Russ, and I just found that to be really interesting. I wanted to, you know, put it on wax, put it on the pot. But I'm going to get off of him real quick because a lot of people have been on him, so I'm not going to keep piling on. So I, I got a question, though. I know they were strapped, like, salary cap-wise and whatnot, and not really many assets, but was like, was there anything small you even wanted to see them try to maybe do at the trade deadline? I mean, there's really nothing to do. It's, Russ is the bigger problem because he's never been a good fit, right? Like we said that at the beginning. I thought he would allow for LeBron to get his rest, and then they would run those rotations a little bit better to where Russ can kind of do his thing. LeBron, basically, like, you know, when you used to watch the Bulls, kind of second, third quarter, basically Jordan and Pippen never really played together. They just like, okay, Jordan, you run the show now. Okay, Pippen, you run the show now. And then at the at the fourth, they would come together and they'd win that game. Like, I thought we would see something like that. That hasn't even worked out. Um, really, they just – it's the same thing with LeBron. Anytime you have a LeBron team. Like, that's the thing that blows my mind is the formula. We've seen it for 15 years now. Defense and shooting. That's all I need. And I don't know how they were going to go get that. I don't, I mean, again, I'm still going to get to it with my little role player revelation thing that I want to talk about, but they didn't have a ton of flexibility because of the cap. So at this point they might as well stand pat and just try again next year. It's really where they're at. Nobody wants to take on that $5 million Luau Dane contract. <laughs> I bet you Luau Dane still hit his jumper the same way he used to, but that hasn't changed. Uh, 
yeah, his mid range probably still nice. All right, so I've been hinting to it, and I, I want to get to it. I'm just gonna go on a rant for a little bit, and then I'm gonna let you just go. So the first part of the rant that I want to get to, because I actually was meant to bring it up earlier, is we do this thing with young players, and we blame GMs for it, but as fans, we do the same thing. I'll use Ty- Tyrese Halliburton as my the Halliburton Darren Fox as my case study here. So. Just a couple of years ago, De'Aaron Fox was that dude that we wanted to see develop and he was going to be the next big thing and, you know, help bring Sacramento to mediocrity, I guess, because they're nowhere near that. And then they get Halliburton. Halliburton's a good player. I like Halliburton a lot. But now when they trade him, everybody's... I've seen a lot of De'Aaron Fox slander. Like, they should have traded De'Aaron Fox because Halliburton's this, that, and the third. And it got me thinking. I think we we understand that college players come into the league more NBA ready than they did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? They have more access. They understand what it takes. They come in rookie year and they, and they start playing really well, right? With that, to me, comes the idea that they're also coming into the league closer to their ceiling. And I don't think we've adjusted our expectation for what people's career progression is going to look like. Because when you look at Tyrese Halliburton, we see what he's doing. He's a very good player. I think we use outdated idea of a career arc and think he's going to become, you know, the next superstar. But I would argue that Halliburton's damn near tapped out. Like, this is what he is. Like, he came into the league very polished. He ain't getting a ton better. Like, he's really good player as is. He doesn't need to get a ton better to be really effective. But I don't see him being Luka. I don't see him being, you know... Bradley Beal type. Like he kind of, like I said, Malcolm Brockton. That's kind of who he is. Another guy who came in the league was very advanced, went to Indiana, kind of showed what he can do, and he's the same guy. So we keep doing this thing where we're expecting this lo- this huge trajectory for the next guy, and it's just not working out that way because part of being more NBA ready when you come into the league means that you're also closer to your ceiling already. Now we have the counter examples that we keep dreaming of. So, right, we have the Giannis and the Kawhi, but they didn't come in league ready. They weren't a finished product yet, like when we knew that. So if you're getting a guy like Halliburton or even Duarte to an extent, like that ceiling ain't as high as you think. So at the end of the day, like we have to start doing a better job of understanding where people are in their career arc and then not holding them against them when they're already tapped out. When they, like De'Aaron Fox. Like, why are we holding it against him for being who he's been the whole time? Like, he's not, he's still 20 points a game, five to six assists, five to six rebounds, not a great shooter. If we loved it in 2018, why are we bashing it in 2022? He's the same dude. Like, why are we mad at that? And it's because we have this idea that people are going to get better and better and better and better because we look like their progression starts in the NBA. It doesn't. Like, their progression at this point is starting in high school, starting like a lot earlier. That arc is starting before they even become a pro. And we just really need to adjust how we look at these players' arcs. And so that we have better expectations, we're able to make better decisions as a GM and as a fan looking at the game. First rant. Second rant. Role players. Never pay them. They are the running backs of the NBA. This never worked out when you give a role player a huge contract. I'm glad 
DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith got his money. He made a comment about how his mama could chill. She was working at Church's Chicken. She ain't got to do that no more. Really happy to hear that. Dallas shouldn't have got gave him that money. That's all, that's all I'm saying. I'm glad he got the bag. Take it. Go spend it. I'll never get mad at the dude making money. But he's going to hamstring you. And the reason why I say never pay them isn't because role players aren't important. It's because just like NFL running backs, there's a lot of them. Like, we undervalue so many role players because we haven't seen them on a winning team. Basically, if we've seen you be a part of a team that advanced in the playoffs, we just say you're a good role player, regardless if you played well or not, right? Like, Landry Shamit gets all this glory for being a great role player. But then a guy like Torian Prince, we don't value like that. When I think Torian Prince is the better player, but he hasn't been on a team that has advanced, so we undervalue him. So you can bargain bins, find role players, and never have to pay them. Like, I brought up Torian Prince. Look at the Timberwolves right now. They have three, in my opinion, really, really good role players that they either got really late first round or Jared Vanderbilt, I think, was undrafted. Again, my five-star rule. If you got a five-star recruit, take a take a flyer on him. He'll work out, I promise. Not early. I'm not talking like fifth pick, but late first, second round. Just take the guy that's five-star to work out. But between Vanderbilt, Prince, and Jalen McDaniels, they have three really good role players that they're paying rookie minimum, rookie or vet minimum. So why am I going to go pay $50 million for for Finney Smith when I can pay league minimum for Jared Vanderbilt, who I think is a better player, right? It just never makes sense to pay the role player because you can replace him with somebody cheaper at any time. Again, Davis Bertans. 80 million. They get Corey Kispert, same dude, rookie contract. Why am I paying 80 million for something that I just replaced with the 13th pick in the draft? Easy. Like, he's at the floor of what he's going to be in the NBA, and he's already better than Davis Bertans, who they're paying 80 million. It just doesn't make sense to spend this money on these role players unless you're going to win now. Like, unless you're in the championship window right now, pay him, take this chance. But if you're not, it makes no sense to ever pay these role players. I am now off my soapbox. I will allow for you to comment. Well, first rant, I have nothing for all you. I like it. Second one, you know me. I'm team don't pay him. I'm, I'm Mr. Salary cap flexibility. I'm Mr. Only pay two people. Like I'm, I'm just big on that. Like Unless you have a sport like baseball where you don't have a salary cap, you got you to gotta watch who you pay, man. You Like we said, we always, I feel like me and you especially, we always talk about that one year in NBA free agency where everybody and their mama was getting paid. Like, they was just handing out $70 million contracts like it was nothing. And I get, like, the salary floor raised and they were able to spend that money and they kind of had to spend that money. But people were just spent, like, Alan Crabb got the bag. Like, I ain't seen the man since. Like, he literally got the bag and disappeared. He, my man was a thief in the night. He was just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, so many people got the bag that summer. It was just, it was just crazy. And, like, that point where, I feel like that point right there was the high point. You know, it's, it's like the point, um, I don't know, but it was, I don't know where I was going, but that was definitely the time where it got out of hand and you were like wait wait why are we paying these like role players like 18 million dollars a year 20 like it didn't make any sense so i think teams definitely got to go back to that calm down on the salary cap now you can make some you know flexible moves 
I'm going to go back to the running joke of the Lakers are paying Luol Deng $5 million, and I ain't seen that man in the Lakers jersey and I don't know when. So you just have to be smart with these moves. You can't make dumb moves like that where you're just paying guys that aren't, aren't even playing. Like, I get it. The Rockets are doing that with John Wall, but they don't want him to play. Like, they they don't they want to play their young guys. So it's a little bit different. But, you, yeah, this, this role player overpaying is out of hand, and it's got to correct. So, I mean – so I feel like the smarter teams don't have, you know, high salary role players. I feel like teams make a mistake here and there, and then they soon after get rid of them, a.k.a. I would say probably C.J. McCollum, who's on a three-year, $100 million deal. That's probably one you want to get off the books. So uh, I feel like that's one important. was like, ooh, this is steep, and we're not good. Like, you got to go. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah. But that's the thing. It's like you, you overpay a C.J. McCollum, right? He has value because he's C.J. McCollum, so you can you can move that. Like, but when you overpay Tyler Johnson, good luck trying to trade that. Like nobody, everybody sees that you overpaid them and they're not going to trade for that. You're not going to take Alan Crabb. Like you're not going to get value out of the, like those are the type of trades where you trade Alan Crabb and you have to give up a first round pick for that team to take Alan Crabb from you. It's a different thing when you overpay a star because they have value and you can still probably move them to somebody who's closer or thinks they're closer to winning. So Overpaying role players, you just end up having to give up picks just to get out from underneath these contracts. And it's just, it's a whole different miss. It's a different type of miss, and it's so much worse. But we're running a little long on this, so I'm going to go ahead and switch over because there is this thing called the Super Bowl happening in a couple of days. Um, so good for Doc Rivers that we run out of time because we were going to throw some shade his way, but we're going to skip it. Let's just say we don't think he's a top 15 coach. Um, for those of you to ask who to replace him with, I would think both I'll speak for both of us when I say Rudy Tomjanovich or Rick Carlisle are better coaches than Doc. And what will be very interesting is he has a chance to prove us wrong because he has a championship roster right now. So let's see what he does with it. Mr. Doc Rivers, top 15 coach. Show me. That's all I got to say about that. Let's move on. Super Bowl is Sunday. Let's just go with the, the, the easy question. Who do you got? Oh, uh. This is easy for me. I'm sure I'll be dead wrong, but I'm going Rams. I feel like they have the way better, especially I'm just looking at this matchup. I feel like last year, especially me and you and when Mike was on the show, we missed a big part of the reason why Tampa Bay was going to win. And that was because they were going to kill that offensive line. I'm not making that mistake this year, my friend. No, Lee Corsa would say not so fast. So, I am taking the Rams because that defensive line is going to kill that Bengals offensive line. And they're going to sack Joe Burrow 18 times. Not quite 18, but you know what I mean, a lot. And I just see them wrecking havoc all day. I Eli Apple, like who's guarding Cooper Cup? It damn sure ain't going to be Eli. Like, are they going to like, and then who's guarding Odell? And then if that, like, I just, so on down the list. Like, they're just not going to be able to stop the Rams. I think the Rams are going to do whatever they want, run, throw, um, on them, and then along with the defense getting after it on Joe Burrow. I just see this being a long day for the Bengals. Uh, I even got a prediction and a Super Bowl MVP if you want it, so I'm going to throw that out. I have a final score of, I believe, I had it written down, but I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it was 27-21 or 20-something like that. And you then get, I had, You show me 27-17. Okay, there we go, 27-17. And then I got the uh, Super Bowl MVP being Cooper Cup with – 200 yards receiving and two touchdowns. I don't know if 200 yards receiving is a Super Bowl record, but I was trying to do something kind of high, like close to it. So that I think that's how it plays out. For me, this is simple. It does scare me because last time we were 
in sewing agreement and we ended up losing um badly we were so wrong about this so let's uh i'm still gotta stick with my guns i got the rams that offensive line against aaron donald and von miller just doesn't seem like a good matchup uh, i think ramsey can do enough to slow down chase i don't see how the Bengals stop the rams offense i got the rams i'll say 34 24 we'll say we'll stick with that 10 point spread we'll, we'll do that um but I, that's that's what I see happening. Um, for my bold prediction, I got Odell as Super Bowl MVP going for 150. I think they roll coverage to Cooper, deciding not to let Cooper beat them. So then Odell's going to do it. And then I am just want to see if he's going to be petty or if he's going to take the high road with the Browns and Baker and all that. So that's, that's, my, that's my Super Bowl prediction there. I hope it's Team Petty all the way. I don't want no humbleness out of Odell. If he get that, in, I want him talking all the shit. Like they said, I was washed. They said I was this and that. I was running the wrong routes. Now I want all of that. Selfishly, that's what I want, but I'm not sure if that's what's going to happen. I'm just, I think that would be interesting. I think I'm kind of hoping, wishing this into existence. So that's that's my uh, bold prediction there. Um, I don't want to do a full-on breakdown because, like I said last time we did that, we were terribly wrong. So <laughs> apparently, that's not where we uh, where we excel there. So let's uh, let's go ahead and, and move on to something. So we went to the Pro Bowl. It was a good time. That stadium, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, is beautiful. Um, but we didn't get the memo that they were going to be playing two-hand touch out there. Like there was probably three tackles the entire game. Including the first play of the game, or and Riffro like was in all of them. I feel like, yeah, yeah, hey, Riffro got smacked a couple times. I'm like, damn, why are you doing the hometown kid like this? What's interesting is I feel like the Pro Bowl weekend they've kind of fixed. Like their skills event was actually pretty entertaining and fun. So they did a lot of things to make that better, like watching them play dodgeball and then Michael Parsons winning the race and the skills. I thought that was pretty good. They, I thought they did a good job of fixing that. So how do they fix the game? I think they either got to go back to money on the line or they got to do something. Like, I don't know. It's hard because it's tackle football and they go through so many games that it's like, how do you ask them to do one more game of car crashes that don't really mean anything? So I, I don't know. Like, I, you, I would say almost seven on seven, but you don't want to take the offensive lineman out. And then that becomes just too high schoolish. So. I say maybe that's exactly what you do. You play flag football. Flag football would be fun to watch. You get people that have some face time because, you know, they don't have a helmet on anymore. You get the linemen involved. You tell the linemen to do basically what the kickers and punters do. They're there, but they're not used. So you just, okay, you you can, because in flag football, you can't block with your hands. So you have to make them towards they can't really blitz too much because otherwise it'd be a sack party. But it ain't no one's there to see the offensive lineman anyway. They get to go get a free trip to Vegas or Hawaii. Hope, I'm assuming they're going to keep it in Vegas. Well, maybe not after Alvin Kamara. Maybe they'll move it back to Hawaii after that situation. Uh, but, you know, they just get a free trip. They don't. It's not like the linemen really want to bang any more than anybody else does. So they're just out there. They're recognized. And then you're there to see the skilled players anyway. You just let them play flag football. I think it would be fun. Then at that point, you can incorporate a celebrity flag football game before the Pro Bowl. You know, I keep thinking of that time when uh, Durant and LeBron were playing head-to-head and watching them dominate. Like, that would be fun to get a celebrity flag football. We do a celebrity basketball. Why can't we do celebrity flag football? So just make the whole weekend flag. I think at that point, you'll see the matchups you want to see. You'll see them run routes and do stuff because they ain't got to worry about getting hit. So 
basically turn it into seven on seven flag football, and I think that would be the best way to salvage. Because otherwise, like they're not going to tackle. Like they clearly have come together and decided we're not getting hurt over this. Like the run plays were so stupid. Like basically, they let them get two yards and then they just stopped them. Like they just held them and then put them back down. There was one stiff arm that Nick Chubb threw that I don't think the defense liked very much because they tried to go get him after that. <laughs> like, that was the only time they played hard for a second is when my man got stiff-armed. He didn't like that. But otherwise, it's just going to be what we just saw, and that's as much as it was cool to be there and the environment. If I was on TV, I'd have turned that a long time ago. You know what I mean? Like, after I done paid these tickets, I'm staying. I'm watching this. But if I'm, on, I'm not watching that on TV. So I would watch it if they switched it to flag and watch these guys just – I think you also get a better idea of how athletic these kid these guys are when they're if you play flag because you're just watching them jump up over people and do all kinds of stuff that it's just easier to tell. Like in my opinion, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I, I like that. I say you go flag and you go even further. Go tournament style, split QBs up, have them pick almost kind of like uh, Durant and KD were doing. But I'm sure they'll pick better than KD because that dude's the worst at picking teams. But. uh yeah, I say you do it like that. You you have enough QBs anyway. I'm sure you, what do you roster probably three each, I think. So you have six teams at least, and you just have them pick a lineman too. And then when you have the lineman out there, have linemen lined up on linemen and just have, like you say, go at it, flag football style. I think that'd be really entertaining, entertaining for everybody. Yeah, and then the winning I, I, team gets a, like a bonus or whatever of however much. Yeah, give them 500 k Yeah, to give to charity. <laughs> yeah. Or, hell, let them pocket it, whatever. We want to see them play hard, right? Let them, let them have it, as far as I'm concerned. Like, whatever, however you want to do it, throw some money at the end. Throw a bag at the end of it, flag football. I think you'll have entertaining uh, content. Have it like uh, like they do in wrestling, where they have it in the briefcase above the ring, and you got to go up <laughs> and get it. <laughs> got to go up the ladder or whatnot. That'd, that'd be funny at the end. Watch them to get that. Uh, okay, so we are, I guess, running a little bit out of time. So let's go to... Baseball. There was a big decision made in baseball. I want you to break that down since you're our resident baseball guru. Oh, yeah. R- real quick. We're not going to stay long on it. Uh, there, you know, while the NBA trade stuff was going on, Super Bowl stuff, this a lot of stuff in the news kind of went under, you know, quietly that baseball is going to move to a universal DH. And I believe starting next year, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. But uh, and I think. It's definitely a good thing. I would, you know, teams don't have to worry about double switching and all this maneuvering when uh, NL teams and then when AL teams go play NL teams and NL parks. And it's 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 more not I wouldn't say fair, but it's just easier teams now to roster players and not having to think. Okay, now we got to keep this guy mainly for defense or mainly for hitting. You you have the double switches. Nobody likes double switches like. To me, those are just stupid. Like, I hate when the Astros play in NL parks because they now, like, lose one of their better players because the pitcher needs to hit. Like, pitchers don't need to hit. Like, they're only – like, you've seen most of these guys. Like, they can't – they swing – they can't even bunt most of the time. So what's the point? Like, if you can't put down a bunt when your team even needs you most of the time, you don't even need to be out there. So it, it's good for the game. I do think, though, that it's not really going to benefit all NL teams. I think it's going to benefit the ones that can pay for the extra hitter. I don't think all, I think, I don't think all teams are going to pay for that. Extra, like the Dodgers, I believe will like the teams like the Braves, the Mets teams have money. I believe will pay for like a good quality DH, but I think the rest of the teams are just going to have guys on their roster that can, 
I think hit okay, but aren't going to be anything special. Like, I don't think the St. Louis Cardinals are going to get that much special by getting the extra batter, quite honestly. So I think it's going to work for some teams, but mainly the teams that can pay. And the AL teams are already, I guess, a step ahead with already having the DH for a while. But it's going to, ha- you know, NL teams have to do it too when they play AL. So it's not like something they've never done before. So I think in the immediate future, to your point, I think it won't really impact the NL. I think as this goes on and teams are able to make decisions with that in mind, I think it'll help. Um, I think this really helps, you know, kind of players that are over the hill, really, because, you know, there was, if you get a little older and you can't feel your position as much, you pretty much had to go to the AL. So this unlocks another 15 teams for you to be able to sign with. Um, So I think it really kind of helps prolong some of the players that were kind of being forced out because, you know, if the AL kind of had DHs already, then you're kind of screwed. But now there's another whole subset of teams that may be interested in you because you can be their DH. So I think this helps those guys more than anything, but I think eventually it'll help NL teams um, because as they get to build their roster with that kind of composition in mind, um, it'll go a long way. But in the immediate future, I don't think it changes much for NL teams, but five years down the road, I think you'll see some, some strategy changes and you'll see that kind of balance out in that, in that way. It'll also be interesting to see if there's any difference from an ERA perspective for NL pitchers, because um, they've obviously always had that out, basically, and now they won't. Even if it's a mediocre uh, MLB hitter, he's an MLB hitter for a reason. So you don't have that, oh, bases are loaded, but the pitcher's up. Okay, let me go ahead and strike his ass out real quick. Okay, we're out of this jam. It's like, no, you have an MLB hitter that you have to get out to get out of this jam. So I think it'll be interesting to see if we see some sort of um, – movement with NL ERAs altogether. All right, so let's go ahead and bring it home. The reason why we were in Vegas is because my man Nick here was time to not getting married. So congratulations to Nick and Amanda on their on their union. It was uh, I was able to attend. I was really happy to attend. Uh, it was a beautiful wedding. Short, sweet, to the point. Boom, boom, boom. We're married. Love it. My favorite type. So um, it got me thinking... What's the best, like, what's the best sports marriage that you would want to see? Like, two players. I was thinking NBA when I thought the question, but it doesn't have to be. Let's say there's a quarterback and receiver pairing that you want to see. Or, I don't know, if you're a real baseball head, maybe a battery you want to see, a pitcher-catcher combo. I don't think we'll get any of that. Um, But let's, let's, what's that perfect sports marriage that you would want to see um, in your league of choice? Uh, I, I don't know if I said it before on this pod, but I said it to you before. I would have loved to see a Giannis Harden combo. Uh, I thought they would have been perfect together, uh, screening and rolling, Harden being an excellent passer, Giannis being an excellent roller. I know they had their little beef or whatever. I, I don't think they really have beef anymore. I don't even think they really ever had beef. I think, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But I would have loved to see that pair, man. I thought they would have been a match made in heaven. Um I thought they could have done a lot together. Obviously, you know, Giannis has his ship now, and he's got his running mates in uh, Middleton and uh, Drew Holiday. But I really want to see that that marriage happen, and I wish they could have. I wish they could have like met and been good friends because I think that would have been a deadly combo, like the deadliest of combos. But you know, we won't see it. So that that's one I definitely would would have wished to. You know, I could have put them together. I wish I could have like, yo, y'all, y'all two should. 
probably think about it. It might be might be nice. So I, I like that combo right there. Yeah, as I'm thinking about this, I'm really bad with timelines and like overlaps. So this may have happened at a very young age for the younger one of these two. But I always wanted to see like prime AD and prime Chris Paul, or not even necessarily prime Chris Paul, this version of Chris Paul together. I'm not sure because I know they both played for New Orleans. I don't think they overlapped. I really don't think they did. But to me, I'm a little partial because I love Chris Paul and I love AD. I'm a big fan of both. All this AD slanders is bothering me, but I'm just going to let it ride. People are going to beat themselves. Um, but I would have just, I think they would bring out the best in each other. Um, I don't think Chris Paul has ever played with a, a big as good as AD. I mean, you can point to Blake Griffin if you want to, but those aren't the same. <laughs> like, I'll just, I'll just say that. I think that would have been such a great pairing. They're both good defensively. Pick and roll. You can pick and pop. I think that would have been such a great pairing. And because I love both those players, I would have loved to see it. So that's kind of, for me, I was like, ooh, that would have been so nasty if they were able to play together. Never worked out. I don't see it happening now for sure. That was the pairing that I really wish we could have, we could have seen together. So uh, we'll definitely put it on Twitter. I'll find a way to put it on Instagram as well. See what kind of sports marriages you want to see. It doesn't have to be in times now. Like, so if you want to go back in the past and let's say you wanted to see, you know, Mark Jackson and Sean Kemp, uh, that's a random pairing, but let's say you want to see that, then give me whatever you want to do. If you want to be all head about it and see Oscar and uh, Wilt, whatever, uh, let's just hear what your pairings are and, We'll, we'll see what people think. So uh, that's our show for today. I appreciate you guys listening in. Hope you guys have a wonderful Super Bowl Sunday, and we'll break it down, uh, hopefully a little more successfully as far as our prediction this time. Um, it's crazy that this is how it all started, and this is where we're at. So you guys take care. Oh, I want to give a shout-out to my wife. Her birthday is on Super Bowl Sunday, so happy birthday, Natalie. Um, I'll be watching the Super Bowl, so uh, we'll have to make up for it on Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> but... Anyway, you guys have a great weekend. We'll holler at you later. Thanks for listening to the Media Timeout Podcast. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at MTO Sports and visit our website, MediaTimeoutSports.com, for more content.